Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health with me, your host, Tiasha Zait. In this episode, we will be diving in the popular science fiction topic, artificial intelligence. We've been seeing ideas on what it could do in movies for decades. AI is the buzzword startups are very keen on using when describing their products. The market is growing. At the moment, the use of AI is the highest in the field of medical imaging and diagnostics, drug discovery and therapy planning. But Accenture predicts that by 2026, 150 billion US dollars could be saved annually due to applications to robot-assisted surgery, virtual nursing assistance, administrative workflow assistance, product detection and dosage error reductions, to name the first few areas with most significant savings. In this episode, you will hear from Sally Daub, the CEO of Enlitic, who will talk about the market potential of AI, current state of the market and more. Enlitic is a San Francisco-based startup using deep learning to distill actionable insight from billions of clinical cases and help doctors leverage the collective intelligence of the medical community. I talked to Sally in Berlin during the Cube Tech Fair. Sally, welcome to, to Europe. Um, one question. Did you check the weather before you came here? Um, I think I did check the weather, but the weather has been great since we've been here, right? It's a little bit of rain, but overall the weather has been actually quite nice. Okay, that's great. I, the reason I'm asking is because one of your CVs or descriptions says that oh. you live in Toronto and San Francisco depending on the weather. That's true. Uh, I do like to check the weather before I go any place. <laughs> yes. I think I have to remove that now off of my uh, LinkedIn. But anyways, yes. <laughs> so you're the CEO of Enlitic, uh, an AI company, and AI being such a buzzword in the startup space. Can we start with a simple explanation? What does, in your uh, opinion or view, uh, suffice to, for a startup to say that they're using AI? I, I think it's an underlying technology base. Um, either they're using it or they're not. So today, using the processing power of GPUs um, and specific modeling techniques where you're using data, then you know, you're de facto using AI. Um, I think it's quite clear to people in the industry whether you're using AI or not. Uh, and then there's different levels of AI, whether you're just using pure regression or, um, you know, neural networks and uh, deep learning. Um, I think that most uh, entities or startups today that have access to data are applying some form of of uh, AI um, in their products going in. So just one more clarification, how can we explain the difference between uh, machine learning, uh, deep learning, AI, and a simple algorithm? Data scientists would say deep learning is a more complex method in terms of using neural networks. The way I see it, um, more in terms of looking at the business, you're, you're applying different levels of computing power and different modeling techniques to the data that you're actually ingesting. Um. There's a lot of expectations uh, in terms of uh, what AI will be able to achieve. What do you think is the biggest dream and the current reality? 
if we talk specifically about um, healthcare, I think the dream is that you'll get closer to a precision medicine model where you can actually ingest a lot more data. So your genomic, your Fitbit information, your medical imaging and all your history, um, and be able to uh, come up with much more precise results at a to apply to you specifically as a patient. I think we're a long ways off from doing that. But I think currently today, um, we're starting to see applications of AI to help physicians go through a lot of data and help them prioritize. Also, we talked, I talked a bit earlier too about being able to have a sort of a second review of what they've, analysis of the, of the information that they've already looked at. But it's really on point in terms of just using very specific pieces of information. We're not at the stage right now where we're able to collect a lot of information from different sources, but we will eventually get there. I want to go a bit to um, analytic and what you guys are uh, doing. So uh, you're using basically deep learning to distill actionable insight from billions of clinical cases. And I found the, the wording, um, so actionable insight, very important. Because, you know, you have a lot of data and how, what's like the, the end point? I think that the point there is uh, you, if you're using all this information and, and data, that's great. But ultimately, you want something that you can derive from it that's going to change how you're going to manage the patient. That's what actionable insight um, is referring to. So in this case... What um, we're doing is looking at early lung cancer detection as one of the, the key targets that the company is focused at. So using existing information and data along with ground truths such as biopsies to be able to identify lung cancer earlier than we would be using traditional medical methods. Um, and as a result of that, be able to treat the patient earlier. One of the expectations when it comes to AI is of course the computing power and AI is good where where you need like a large data sets to, to, to be analyzed and uh, analytics deep learning technology incorporates wide range of unstructured medical data including radiology and pathology images um, and labor- laboratory results, blood tests like all genomics, patient history and electronic health data. That sounds like a lot of integrations. It is and, and, and I think we talked about this earlier on that that's the ultimate goal right now we're not integrating all of that information we are integrating um, uh, the patient record and information files to help us build our models uh, but we're not actually using that information yet to help the doctor do a, do full-off diagnosis so the end goal will be to take all of that data from all those different sources um, and be able to provide uh, a lot more information back to the physician But right now, what we're really focused on analytic is looking at the medical image um, and the patient records and helping us to do earlier diagnosis of, you know, things like lung cancer disease um, by training the AI model to be able to detect it earlier than a doctor would be um, on his own. So how does that look in practice? For example, a, a patient comes to the doctor's office and the doctor is using... I, I think that that's the real challenge is a lot of this technology, people look at it and say, wow, it can have this huge impact. But it's in healthcare, it's different, difficult to find pathways to deploy the technology. Um, 
Longer term, I think doctors will be using an AI cloud-based service to, especially in the area of radiology, to um, review their results, also to help to prioritize which cases are, are more significant or are higher concern. Um, we're not there right now, but I can see a future where, yes, you come into the radiologist, an image is taken, those images are immediately sent to the cloud, um, and some pre-analysis is done before a doctor ultimately makes the final decision and looks at that image. When it comes to uh, analyzing big chunks of data and AI, radiology is usually, and pathology are usually two areas that are mentioned most often because it's pattern, it's all about pattern recognition. Yes, that's right. So in that sense, how much are you um, dealing with the question of maybe it decreasing the need for radiologists because that's one thing that uh, some um, players in the market will say that the technology as such is not a problem but you have to um, make sure that the that radiologists uh, support you uh, I've been in technology for a long time and I do find technology has a way of disrupting and coming up with solutions and you know a lot of times um, the decision um, about how to use this technology isn't always made by the radiologist, sometimes made by the IT department, sometimes it's made by the administrators. Uh, so I think we want to work with the radiologist, but I wouldn't say it's a necessity that the radiologists have to buy into AI. This technology is going to move forward regardless, um, and it's, it's going to get deployed regardless. I, my, experience has been that most radiologists though embrace it because I think ultimately they want to be spending time on the more complex cases and if you can use this type of technology to have the normal cases move to the side that's a huge benefit for them um, but uh, I, I, I think you're, we're going to see a, a greater trend where consumers take more and more control on how their healthcare is provided and I think they're going to see the benefits of using things like AI to get faster information um, and also what they're going to believe to be likely more accurate. You've touched upon an important topic uh, in healthcare and the difficulty of business models in healthcare that on the one hand you have the radiologist that's supposed to be the user, and but actually the payer is maybe the, the management. So, yeah. So, so this this type of technology will will change the balance of some of those relationships, um, and I think mostly for the better. Uh, you know, the radiologists were one of the first to adopt technologies, even on CAD systems. So they're used to uh, taking on new technology that's supposed to, you know, increase their work efficiency, etc. So I think that this this is just the next stage, and I think uh, their job is going to probably change going forward. And for a lot of them, a lot of Radiologists, I think they're going to see it as a positive change. There's going to be some that will see it as a negative. But that's pretty standard in almost everybody's jobs right now, I think, um, where any technology is having any kind of application. And Lytic is also present to some extent in China, right? To some extent, yes. Um, we, we, we actually have more going on in Japan um, and also jurisdictions like Australia and Canada um, and starting now into Europe. Uh, we have partnered with some entities in China, and uh, we still see some opportunities there. But the, the, the 
I guess the focus on actual uh, execution and deployment, we found some very strong partners outside of the China ecosystem that we're, we're, we're starting to focus more on. How did you get to uh, those uh, partnerships and uh, why did you decide to target, target uh, mo- those markets? How much is that uh, connected to the fact that it, uh, here in the developing countries and US and Europe, it's going to be increasingly hard to get your hands on larger sums of data which are urgent for uh, algorithms learning? So, so I think when we decided, you know, we started looking at how we're going to commercialize the um, the products, we started to look at who would be the key customers. And the, the customers are located internationally. Um, we saw huge opportunities in Japan. Japan has some unique challenges around healthcare, aging population, um, a willingness to accept technology. Uh, we saw lots of opportunities in jurisdictions like Australia and Canada where you have a public health system, so uh, you've got governments giving you access to large, uh, I guess, jurisdictions full of data. So we took a, a very international approach and didn't just focus on the United States. We looked at where the greatest opportunities were. Uh, and we do have some relationships in the U.S. as well. But uh, we, you know, we... We started talking to partners around the world, and it ha- so happens that Japan has ended up being a great opportunity. Um, you know, through Cube, we met Bear. Bear has been a great opportunity. Um, and then, as I stated, we've got some opportunities going on right now in Canada, Australia, and the U.S. So each of those jurisdictions, we deal a little bit differently with how they like the, would like the data handled. Um, but our solution allows us to manage the models and their data either on-premise or in the cloud, and we try to accommodate whatever the needs of our partners might be. Can you share any more information on the, the, the uses and the customers? So how much are the projects and the partnerships that you have, uh, basically pilot projects, uh, and how much are they actual customers that already use the product? Yeah, so, so we are um, working with customers where... We're doing clinical studies, but there are significant payments being made. So in that sense, we're sort of, I see it as a real commercial deployment. Um, but we're still a ways off in with respect to analytics technology where you're going to be able to walk into a doctor's office and have our AI models run in the background. I think we're a couple of years away. What we have seen in the sh- in as a more immediate opportunity um, is a way to work with pharmaceutical companies and helping them in their clinical studies where they um, have, you know, radiology and images have been a large biomarker in those studies. Um, and, and to date, um, probably haven't been, they haven't had an efficient process that they can actually utilize to understand how to use those images in conjunction with the data. And our technology is going to help them help them do that. So our focus has been um, in a number of the, uh, with a number of the partners, large pharma, and then um, jurisdictions or partners where they have a large patient base and their willingness to deploy AI in the background um, to drive the efficiencies of their systems. Who do you see as your biggest competitors? What's your view on the market and on the um, rising entrance of big corporates such as Apple and Google yeah. into healthcare? I mean, Google itself went from nine investments to healthcare in 2013 to 27 uh, in last year, in 2017. Yeah. 
I think that uh, there there's sort of two large buckets. There's a, a number of um, very good startups that we compete with um, that are sort of our of our size, and I think we're going to see, you know, sort of a handful of those continue to move forward on the commercialization uh, side of things. I think a lot of um, smaller companies entered into the market with the idea, you know, this is great, we can apply um, AI to images and look at everything it does, but I think they're they're hitting a realization that either getting access to data or getting a thoughtful way to deploy the product and take it to market um, is a much bigger challenge than they anticipated. Um, on the other side, then we see the larger companies like Google that you suggested, um, but the market is so vast and so huge. In Google, there are so many, um, like for example, even the pharma space players there that want a very focused, um, and I would argue startups are better at at least um, early on on the execution side, um, companies like Analytic to work with where they can, you know, drive forward new solutions within their own organization and then eventually deploy them outside. So I don't, to be frank, we don't see in most of the partnership meetings that we're having companies like Google being raised as, well, we're looking at you or Google or IBM. Uh, and in some ways, they're very, very positive for the market because the patients and consumers are reading about this technology all the time. And our view is, is that patients at some point are going to start to demand, you know, it's, it's, you know, are you using the latest technology? Are you using AI to also look at my images and making sure that, you know, that you're being able to uh, identify things as early as possible in conjunction with what the doctor is doing. So I think there are lots of opportunity. I think the more critical thing for companies like Analytic is execution and finding the right partners to work with as they start to deploy their products. How do you see, is there a discrepancy between the expectations of the public because of the hype and because of maybe also overinflated expectations due to um, misunderstanding of uh, the capabilities at the moment uh, by journalists? Um, how, yeah, how much does that influence, for example, radiologists on one hand and you as a provider on the other hand? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you can't look at a healthcare publication or even radiology right now and they talk about AI. Um, so, I wouldn't call it hype, but everybody knows it's coming. And, and I do believe that AI will be a fundamental aspect of how radiology is provided going forward. I think what everybody's looking at and struggling is, is the timing and which are the first applications. Um, is it in the area of oncology? Um, is it in the area of looking for brain bleeds in emergency rooms? And how fast can you get systems deployed and integrated into the existing systems. That's, yeah, that's the big issue because there's then you open up immediately also the liability issue, which I think is a major um, factor, in, especially in the U.S., where, where yeah, doctors in general are very cautious about, you know, how do you employ new technologies and then there's regulation and FDA approvals and everything you need to have before. Well, well, one of the things that I've learned in life is, is it's very, even if you have a great product, it's very hard to sell a product if, if it's not clear who the buyer is and if that buyer is not actively looking for that product. And I would argue that, you know, doctors right now are not actively, like, they're busy taking care of patients. They're not, you know, 
hey, I need a new AI model to help me with my practice. Um, so, so that creates some challenges, but there are a number of areas where there's huge amounts of pressure because of the cost of healthcare right now. Um, there, people see that the inefficiencies, pharma specifically has a lot of competition. This can greatly help them in terms of their clinical studies and reduce the time for drug discovery. So I think what you have to do is find the areas where you're going to provide that huge advantage. It will start in those areas first and eventually migrate over, I think, into the the general provider space into the U.S. Um, But it's, you know, I think that that is one of the challenges that healthcare companies in AI have in um, in the medical space is just understanding who am I going to sell it to, why do they want to buy it, um, and then figuring out how it's going to get integrated in their systems and deployed. So AI is not um, a solution that would um, radically force the system to change because um, what I'm trying to ask is, it's one thing to look at your customer and try to figure out what problems they have. And it's another thing to try to design how the system is supposed to look like and try to then design the technology that would enable a better future, um, which is basically saying, are you going to fight the existing system or are you going to try to... Um, create something completely new, which is something that healthcare has been battling with for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be both. Um, in terms of the existing systems, there are a lar- lot of large organizations. I mean, healthcare is now becoming a competitive industry worldwide. I mean, I think the, some of the provider hospitals in the U.S. compete for patients around the world, and they definitely compete from state to state. Um, so they are looking at ways of improving their performance and doing a number of very innovative things. And I can see a lot of vertical integration or partnerships happening with those entities as they try to do that. Um, what I'm uncertain about is whether or not, you know, the other model is you develop a software and you go sell it door to door to door. That's another strategy that I, that I think, um, some companies are going to pursue, um, you know, and then the, 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 the last one is, is do you go full off and, and, um, disrupt the entire business by things, which I think probably Apple is going to do by actually providing the doctor's clinic. And so, you know, now you, you don't have to go and ask. You actually own the clinic and people can come in and you can deploy whatever technology you want because they actually own the full service. So I think you're going to see all of those move forward. I mean, there are different financing requirements depending on which path you follow, branding and other considerations. But I think the fact that all of those paths are open and there's going to be pressure on all of them means that we are going to see major change in healthcare that we never saw before. Analytic is the strongest at the moment in the field of radiology. What other areas do you think are going to be the first uh, disrupted by AI in healthcare? Um, there's just so many, I mean, I see all sorts of companies, I mean, we've heard about companies, um, using AI to help predict, you know, which patients should leave the hospital and what timeline they should leave the hospital and 
stopping them from coming back to the hospital, um, helping with, uh, you know, giving uh, drug management to those patients. I mean, you, you can go to, through almost every single element of a patient's. They're, they're even using very simple things um, uh, in AI to, I'm trying to think of half the things we've talked to seen um, looking at uh, image, eye images to help diagnose um, early diagnosis of diabetes. Um, there are just so many applications and so many startups focused on very specific outside of images. And, and I, th- I think that there's going to be a lot of success stories there. Um, there's companies um, that I've worked with that are using AI around wound management. Uh, a company called Mimosa allows you to take a picture of your feet and ensure that you can manage, especially when you have things like diabetes, make sure that you don't eventually end up amputating your foot. Um, I've seen AI companies that are um, focused on fatty liver tissue and management of that using low-cost ultrasound machines. Uh, I could go on and list just continues to grow. There's AI being used in, in surger- surgical procedures, um, helping to make sure that the physicians and nurses operate more efficiently. So there's just there's just a ton of opportunity out there. Our focus is obviously just on the imaging side, and, and that's a large enough market in and of itself. But there are dozens and dozens of companies now using this technology to drive efficiency, and I think that that's going to be enormously positive for healthcare over the, the next few years. Is it possible to say, when, you, when we're talking about artificial intelligence, there's this stereotypical idea that everything is done seamlessly, you know, because it's artificial intelligence. Yeah. So can you uh, share a bit about how many developers, for example, um, do you have or how many engineers work on a specific solution? Is it possible to say what's the minimum time needed for an actual development of an AI solution for healthcare? I think it really depends. And you have to remember that the data scientists looking at the data and developing the models is only one piece of providing an end solution. You still need to develop uh, the platform or the application and understand how it's going to get integrated um, and deal with the ingestion of the data and the security of the data and all of those things. Those are all engineering roles that operate outside of the data scientists that are enormously imp- important as well. So um, you can have, with, with really, really good data, um, you can have one data scientist work on a model and be able to deliver it over, over months. But there's always improvement to that model that's going to be required. And building out all those other pieces on the engineering side are just as important as the data scientist role. What are your expectations in terms of the AI development in, let's say, I don't know, 10, 20 years, there's, um, yeah, the hope is that everything would get simple. But as the science progresses, we also uh, fall into um, realizing how complex diseases are, you know. Um, Yeah, I think think we're going to learn a ton of things. But I think healthcare is such a huge industry and there are so many places to apply this technology. I, I think I think the tools around using AI are going to get easier and easier to use. There's going to be easier tools on the NLP side, um, easier tools that you can access to de-identify in, uh, patient data, all different things that you can 
put together to start to apply AI to more and more problems. Um, but I think we're just at the very, very early stages. And, and we talked earlier, right now, everybody talks about precision medicine and using all this different information. We're a long ways off. I mean, as a, as you and I, you know, I wear a Fitbit. I've got a doctor on the other side. I've maybe done some genome testing or not. None of that data is integrated or accessible. And there's no technology out there that's been trained to look at all of that and do comparisons and, and study it. So we'll get there, but there's opportunity and work ahead. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is that with big anal analysis of big data sets, you can, when you have a large enough of chunk of data, there's going to be correlations that you're going to find. Yeah. I think that's most prevalent when it comes to coffee studies. You know, you keep hearing like what coffee causes and yes. then it's much more complex than that because on an individual level, it's important like well, what environment those uh, specific people that drink, I don't know, for cups of coffee a day are. So, And I think there's also a very strong concern in people understanding is how you're going to build bias into these models, right? It, I mean, one of the aspects of being a data scientist is how they creatively look at problems and develop the models to, 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 um, deal with them. And there's a risk that, you know, that you start to build into those models assumptions and biases that, um, don't necessarily bring out the truths that we're looking for. So I think there's going to be lots of, like, I think what's, what I think is really important is that these large, I call them data lakes of information be made available so that you have a lot of people mining through it. And that's one of the ways that we're going to try to keep everybody honest and um, develop more and more new products that we can, we can take to market faster and faster. It's a similar problem sometimes with clinical trials when you come to a certain conclusion and then another clinical trial or another uh, science improvement is built on that primary conclusion, but it's almost impossible or at least too expensive to actually um, do the first clinical trial again so you would validate the data. Now we're already touching upon the, the scientific research issue. Yeah, I mean, I mean, clinical studies around drug use is because is, there's... In some ways, it's still overly simple um, combinations of drugs, for example, or understanding how the drug might perform much, much better with subgroups of the population. Uh, these are all areas where AI is going to help in the clinical studies immensely. There's also, you know, I, probably a lack of understanding of even what the error rates are, right? Because, you know, you've got these complex clinical studies, all these different images. It's all it's distributed. Um, you a lot of these drugs fail by very very small margins, and there's a tendency once a drug fails to, to put it on the shelf and move on. But I think now using this technology, there's going to be an opportunity to go back and look historically to try to understand exactly much, much better why the drug failed and see if there's opportunities to bring those drugs forward again uh, and to target very maybe specific subgroups of the population or maybe see if the drug performed better in combination with other drugs at certain times. You know, we see drugs perform well over a period of time and start to subside. Getting more of that data um, is, I think, going to help the pharmaceutical companies not only bring drugs that maybe have failed in the past back to life, but also drive their make their clinical studies 
more efficient going forward. The amount of gathered data around the patient uh, is increasing uh, very rapidly. What's your expectation there in terms of actionable data findings um, and noise that's getting in the system? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I have a good answer on that. I mean, I mean, already, you know, we're gathering a lot of information, uh, data, like a Fitbit and what we're doing on a daily basis, um, the value of that short and long term. There, there's been a lot of discussion about even on the genomic data, people doing tests and finding very, very little value in the results that are coming back. But um, I think it's a lot of that will get worked at over time. People will look at the information, ask better questions. We're at a very, very early stage. If you look at um, the advent of almost every technology um, over the last hundred years, you know, the rate at which TVs were adopted, the rates at which computers were adopted, the rate that cell phones were adopted, it's accelerating massively. So um, I think you're going to see the same thing with uh, AI, that it, it's always like that at the beginning. People are like, because all the media and everybody is talking about it constantly, right? And we're like, we keep hearing about it, but we don't see it. Um, like blockchain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I still remember when, when we were talking about the cell phone and, um, y you know, people were saying there was no way everybody was going to have their own cell phone. Like that would have happened for like 50 years. Or there was no way that everybody would have video and all these applications. And it happened extremely quickly. I mean, the acceleration that's going to happen now being able to process information using AI is going to be astronomical, but it's, you know, it's going to happen over the next 10 years. This was the 13th episode of Faces of Digital Health. If you're interested in learning more about the use of data in precision medicine, go to episode 9 of this podcast, where you will find out about the correlation between zip codes, credit scores, and health. If you like the show, do take a few seconds to leave a review or rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast to have a new episode downloaded automatically. And of course, spread the word if you like what you're listening to. Stay tuned.